clear. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> Didn't we do this just like last week? Holy moly. We did. Exactly. We did. That's why there's so few things on the list, but... It's a good list. No, that, this, this, this is a healthier list. This is uh, th- this nothing wrong with this list. No, no, it's a nice. It's a nice list, and there's got two or three items I really do want to talk it, about. So, it, uh, it, it's balanced. There's not too much fat, not too much lean. Yeah, uh, I am saddened to see this first item as the first item. Really? Yeah. Why? Dude, it's just a tailwind. <laughs> <You know? laughs> these guys, you know, these guys didn't do anything special. Well, but it's a honk and tailwind. I mean, I, I don't think the uh, – we've started, by the way. The uh, uh, <laughs> No. I, I don't think that the, that the airline gets a lot of credit for this. I think Mother Nature gets a lot of credit for this. Mother Nature gets some credit for this. And if you want to make it a, a global warming uh, issue, yeah, you know, okay, it's fine. But um, right. it's just a tailwind, folks. So those listening in, this is the story we just came up appeared recently about a uh, a 787, a Boeing 787, um, managed to to uh, indicate 800 miles an hour on in ground speed um, because it had a big tailwind, and Jeb and Dave are not not impressed. I don't no, know. Dave, Dave, Dave's impressed. Dave Dave would love to be able to get at that kind of altitude to take <laughs> advantage of that. Exactly. You know. And, yeah. and, and another thing. You know, they were only at 35,000 feet. That airplane can go higher. Yeah. Uh, but that's probably where the best winds were. Um, sure, I'm, I, I would imagine. But now, I'm, I was looking at this thing. What what exactly do we think the ground, the air tailwind was? Uh, oh, had, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say about 230. Well, that's what the article says that they saw um, balloon soundings indicated a, a, a wind of 231 miles an hour mm-hmm. um, at... 30,000 feet or 30 to 35,000 feet um, which may or may not be what the airliner was um, seeing I, I'm just really surprised that the airline the story doesn't tell us what the what airspeed this thing was indicating although we don't have the information from the uh, from the actual aircraft do we um, we only have this because someone you mean indicated or true or whichever the point is we don't know what <laughs> don't don't get me don't don't even go there um the point is, this story doesn't come from the airline or the crew, I don't believe. It comes from people spying um, on flights on FlightAware. And, I'm, uh, and I'm sure the crew never didn't even realize it. I mean, they, hey, man, we've got a great ground speed here. And first of all, secondly, they sure as hell didn't convert it to miles per hour in their heads. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, but miles per hour is the way you make a more impressive number, that, you know. We've known that for a long time. Air, airplanes that the marketing information for small planes that you know claim it to be a two hundred mile an hour airplane, um, even though it means it's a hundred and whatever it comes out to eighty knot airplane. Uh, but you know, one hundred seventy four. Okay. Oh, very good. You know that number. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, one hundred seventy four knots doesn't sound nearly as impressive as two hundred miles an hour. Um, so uh, it's uh, the same thing. Yeah, well, but it's not the same thing because uh, on your little brochure, 200 miles an hour looks way more impressive. Come on, we're all from the computer industry. We've known the computer industry. People love numbers. They love numbers, right? That, yeah. That's that's why the GA plane makers back in, uh, I want to say, the 60s yeah. stopped installing uh, airspeed indicators with a, a uh, primary ring 
in knots. It put it in miles an hour, and if it had a, a nautical mile ring at all, it was inside uh, yeah. and smaller because yeah. it made itself faster. Ta-da! Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So there you go. Um, it is cool though to go fast, fast. You know, ground good big ground speeds. Jeb, we were talking about you having remarkable ground speed coming back from Oshkosh last summer. Um, oh, really? I, 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 I recall. Yeah. Well, let's, let's let's see if that that's flight still up anywhere. Um, I remember watching it at the time on on flight aware, as a matter of fact, and noticing that you were getting—I forget what the numbers were now—but they were remarkable ground speeds. You were booking along. And, uh, I, I might have had—I might have hit two hundred knots. I don't know. Yeah. I don't—I don't remember. I've got a record of it, but I'd, give me a few minutes here. I'll try to find it. Yeah. So, David, what's the best tailwind that you remember ever getting in any aircraft you've flown? Or I guess, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about your buddy's jets here. I guess I'm talking about like the Comanche. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. That's that's the only thing I could testify to. Uh, something where I had my hands on the controls and there was you maneuvering go. the airplane. But uh, I got about sixty knots uh, on a tail at just nine thousand feet, flying from Augusta, Kansas to Jeffersonville, Indiana, a few mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shaved so much off my time that my parents hadn't left the house to pick me up when I landed. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> no, that was fine. That gave me time to no, I mean, it's unload a good and put the cover on and all that. Uh, yeah. And I was doing a demo in a uh, Learjet 31A you know, years ago when I was still at the Eagle. And uh, uh, if I remember right, we've got 160 knots tail on our way back from uh, the Colorado area where we'd been doing maneuvering at 51,000 feet. And, and we didn't get it until we came down below, I think it was, I think it was 41, 42,000, when all of a sudden it's like nudge and uh, let it settle down a little bit. And, yeah, man, holy cow. Uh, but 20 minutes later it was over because with that kind of ground speed we had to start down <laughs> to make it into Wichita. Uh, without busting the vertical speed indicator. Oh yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm searching through my old texts here. My buddy Drew um, told me he, he texted me one day that he was getting some some you know un, unworldly uh, tailwind on his little daily flight from his home in one one along the coast in uh, California to his workplace, also along the coast. Now, now if you're going to be fair uh, in this discussion of uh, uh, tailwinds and jet streams, you need to ask the question, what was the worst headwind that you ever got? Well, yeah. And what did it do to you? And that's the price you pay, especially if your return trip is sometime soon after your, you know, your, your outbound trip, because... What do they say? The winds never never help you. All right, it always costs you. Um, it doesn't like even out, right? Well, was uh, making making a trip to Addison, Texas, uh, uh, some years back, and typical trip down there was you know two ten, two twenty because it'd be a little bit against the wind, and coming back it'd be you know an hour and fifty or two hours, and uh, on this trip. I had tailwinds to Oklahoma City and headwinds into Addison. And on the trip back later that day, I had headwinds going to Oklahoma City and from Oklahoma City back to here, right. tailwinds. It was well, yeah. it, comp- it flipped on both ends. Yeah, that's, that's the really bad luck. 
but but the, if you do the math, all right. So it, all other things being equal, if you went out someplace in the morning and came back in the afternoon, and the wind, the weather hadn't substantially changed, assuming let's just for the sake of the expo, for the example, say the winds were identical both both legs, it doesn't balance out. You don't get back what you lost from the headwind um, because you end up spending less time in the tailwind and more time in the headwind. And so the wind always hurts you, um, all other things being equal. Yes. Uh, the, the, what was really weird about this particular trip down to Texas and back was the uh, the flight times uh, down and back were within a minute, two minutes of one another. Oh, really? Yeah. Jeb, you were going to say something. Um, I don't remember what it was. Um, the, the rule the wind's I, I, always hurting yeah, you. No, yeah. The, the rule of thumb is to try to speed up in a headwind. Um, um try to increase your airspeed i see in a, okay. in a headwind that way the headwind has less time to work against you yes the corollary by the converse i should say is in a tailwind if you're looking to if efficiency is the is the goal or or, or you know depending you want to maximize use of the of the tailwind you mm-hmm. slow down you slow you down your air you know, right. reduce your airspeed and let the tailwind push you along right because in this case, what you're doing is fine-tuning for fuel economy, not necessarily well, speed. It, it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, any chance you found that flight? Well, I found the flight from Oshkosh to South Georgia uh, yeah. on a four flight. And it, the, I, don't, I can't pull up a track or something for some reason, but it's giving me average ground speed between the two points is 174 knots. And is that good? <laughs> Point to point, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I climb I, it at a buck twenty, I, I seem to remember two hundred knot, knots or more um, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to even say two ten at one moment. You yeah, know? Uh, but uh, yeah, you had some good wins th- on that. On I've, that trip. I've got a I've got a track here, but I, um, I'll see if I can share it with you. Let me see if I can do that. Yeah, you should have it now. Uh, yep, there it is. Okay, let's see here. Ooh, okay. Let's see if the, I'm always nervous I'm going to close the cast tab here, but... Uh, yeah, there you are. Is this out of... Oh, four flight. Yeah, okay. You always go across the water. You have no fear of water. If you look at the map... I'm going across what are bas- what is basically the the narrowest part of right. the lake. Yeah, okay. and that's a good thing. But you still I'm, you're I'm, out there, right? I'm there's at, some. I'm at eight or ten thousand feet. Okay, but there's still there's, a few, at least a few minutes where you're going into the water. There's ten. Know? There's ten or fifteen minutes max yeah. that I can't glide to either shore from that altitude. Right. And if I can get higher, I try to. Right. You know, I, my preference coming out of there is eleven, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that that puts me above. It gets me way above Indian territory. Gives me plenty of glide space. Um, and ATC, there's there's nobody there except RJ's going up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We changed the subject, by the way, folks. We're now talking about traveling, r- flying across Lake Michigan when you're going to or coming from Oshkosh. I remember a story. I I've read this way back when, and I don't know if if it's still the case. But I read that the Coast Guard, which operates on the Great Lakes because they're great, um, it, the Coast Guard um, apparently puts um, more than usual patrols on the water 
around that narrow part of the lake that week um, exactly for this reason, in case somebody goes into the water. Uh, I heard that anyways. I can't attest to this. Sounds truth. like an urban myth. No, you know what? Why wouldn't they? You well, know, it'd I mean, be great if they did, and, and, and maybe we should ask them. I, I think we should. I think we should look into this. So, David, you don't know anything about this story, right? Do they do that? Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. You know they do. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll see. There and, you go, and, Joe. Well, uh, we'll, okay, we'll take this offline. No, wait a minute. Why would you take it offline? Okay, okay. <laughs> Got it. Dave. I mean, not that I don't believe you, but how do you, how do you know this for a fact? Because uh, he's plugged I, in. I read it somewhere. Okay. All right. Welcome, folks. Welcome, folks. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, uh, beautiful uh, uh, white. I was going to say white Christmas. It's white. Uh, what are we? It's late, late February, white uh, February. Um, Dover, New Hampshire, on the shores of the beautiful Cochico River. Uh, and uh, I'm here. Shore, our, did you say the shores of Ichigumi? Is it, no, I said Cochico. It's the name Cochico. of the river. The name, name of the river that defined the, the city of the town of, of Dover. It's you know because we're at the falls and they built mills, major mill city back in the day. Um, because we're at the fall line is what they call it, right? I think it's the point where um, the river changes from being tidal to being um, a flowing river full-time. And uh, that's a good place to put a dam so that you can build a mill and get water power. That's why Dover is here. And uh, and uh, many of those dams are still there. Some are gone. Anyways, um, it's the Cochico River, which has two different spellings, depending on you, whether you want to spell it the right way or the wrong way. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's an extra H in it if you're spelling it correctly, um, according to my by my measurements, um, there was actually a typo. This is this is a true story. The uh, hundred hundred plus years ago, somebody was filling out a form um, having to do with I don't know what the, dead, the creation of one of the mills or, or or incorporating the city or something like that. They were filling out a form and they spelled the name of the river wrong. They left out one of the H's and uh, um, and it stuck. And so if you go around town, you'll see signs that are spelled. And I'll see if I can spell it. Uh, Cochico, C-O-C-H-E-C-O or E-C-H-O. And uh, you'll see both spellings all around town because of the typo 200 years ago. That's, that's an Irish name, isn't it? <clears throat> uh, no, I think it's actually a Native American name, actually, <laughs> which is sort of Irish, I suppose, when you get right down to it. But, uh, um uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I got distracted by the train. I heard the train in the background. Uh, here in my virtual hangar, talking to my two good <laughs> friends, who uh, apparently this is going to be one of those episodes where they give me a hard time the entire uh, hour and 20 minutes. And it's going to uh, be one of those episodes in which you deserve it. Yeah, well, that's probably, I, I probably always deserve it. But uh, anyways, uh, let's see now. Who goes first today? Uh, from, from the air capital. <laughs> from the air capital of the world. My my good friend, who doesn't give me as much tr- trouble as, as some others, uh, is Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm just wondering, what was in your coffee this morning? I don't know. I don't know. I uh, 
we record this these days at 10 o'clock on a, on a Thursday morning, and yeah, I've definitely had some coffee. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, we recorded just a week ago, so uh, this is this is an interesting episode in that regard. We haven't built up a great big backlog of of uh, you know of either stories or having missed each other. Maybe that's why we're. I don't know. <laughs> and it proves positive the old saying that two podcasts. Seven days apart makes one week. W E A K. Ooh, I like it. Okay, but a okay. boom. Okay, but a boom. Um, so, did it snow there, David? You last episode you mentioned that it was about ready to snow. You were under some sort of warning, and uh, yeah, we got almost nothing out of that one. I mean, I didn't even need to take the uh, scraper out to clean off a windshield. Uh, but uh, Tuesday this week, uh, this is Thursday. Tuesday this week. Uh, mid-afternoon it started to snow very lightly and got heavier and snowed uh, until late that night dropped about a little over three inches on my neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, enough to turn everything smooth and silent and and and, and recognize that you, you can't commit any vandalism because your footprints will give you away yeah yeah that's right yeah uh and before I forget, uh, my, because why would I want to forget uh, my other good friend here in the uh, virtual hangar from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida? That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm not going to take this abuse much longer. Okay. Not much longer. Another 12 years or so. Uh, and uh, I don't know whether it made it into the... Pre- we, we were talking before uh, before we th- before I think we started, and you were you were... You were torturing us about the temperature. Say it. Go ahead. Get it over with. What, what's Se- the, 74. 74, and that's at 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. Expecting it to get to? 84. 84. As I said, though, I'm okay with that because that's where I'm going to be tomorrow. Not at Hidden River. I'm going to Orlando. So I'll be back in Florida by this, well, not quite this time, but by, by mid-afternoon tomorrow. And uh, so that's okay with me. 80 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Um. How are you doing, Jeb? What's going on with you? Um, a, a few projects coming to fruition. Um, mm-hmm. Getting geared up for the next uh, issue of uh, of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just kind of enjoying life right now. Having a yeah. good time. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What's going on here in the world of aviation here? Uh, what was it we wanted to talk about? Okay, so I had one follow-up here. Um, and I, you know what? I'm going to... No, you see... You're, you're going to do this one on your own. I know. Easy and for you to say. I, I, before I even get into this, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I recognize that this is a very weak source. All right, but I I, I just wanted to bring. So in the last episode, we were talking about the drone show, um, um, the 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 multiple hundred like 150 drones that fly in formation that appeared at the Super Bowl uh, a few weeks back, um, and and I was speculating that that because that drone show because that drone flying took place 100% indoors like in a covered stadium um that it required little or no waiver from the FAA in order to fly all right uh and Jeb disagreed and, oh and I didn't oh whoa, 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 time out I didn't know it was an enclosed stadium never mind oh, well I tried to say that at the I, time I didn't it, it didn't make it didn't get through you, you did you did with great common sense suggest that whether it was indoors or not the fact that it was over an audience made a difference and and that is certainly is the case 
Um, but uh, anyways, I found this story, which is kind of an interesting story um, um, about that show. It's, this is from a from an events kind of uh, a show, you know, show maker, show producer um, magazine, and uh, and they talk about some of the the infrastructure and logistics that went into putting on this drone show, um, and it and it. And, and you know, acknowledging that this is not a source that really understands FAA regulations, um, nevertheless, there is a graph here that says, um, this is the Intel Shooting Stars drone team. Um, um, they were, they, they appearing during the show, were specially pre-programmed to fly and remain within the stadium and therefore did not enter the controlled airspace over Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is where the Super Bowl was. Um, and that's basically the quote that I was thinking of when I mentioned that I thought they didn't have the same kind of FAA restrictions. But, you know, it's also a very vague statement and that, you know, that you don't really know if they know what they're talking about. Um, so I actually did some, there's another link I put on the list there. Um, I, I went digging into the FAA regs um, and found, uh, let's see, where is it here? The, uh, at least this little overview of drone is it here? There it is, right there. Of uh, of drone regulations. Uh, this is from the FAA's website, Fact Sheet: Small Unmanned Aircraft Regulations. Um, this is from last summer, and uh, and it does specifically say you you actually can fly over people. There's a really interesting sentence in here that I had a hard time parsing at first. Where did it go here? Uh, you currently cannot fly a small UAS over anyone not directly participating in the operation and then and then literally it says participating in the operation comma not under a covered structure comma or not inside a covered stationary vehicle Mm -hmm. which confused me that word that 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 grammar is weird to me um until i parsed it to mean um you can't fly over one anyone who's not participating and also or not in a cover under a covered structure or not inside so in other words if there you can fly over a building i'm sorry you can fly over people as long as they're in a covered structure right. or in a covered stationary vehicle um so um so flying these things over the crowd of the super bowl would in fact require some special permission it's not apparent from what i saw of the video they did that but you never know um and so um, well it looked to me like they kept it out over the field yeah, that's what I mean. Which, um, you know, dramatically reduced how many heads you're flying over. Yeah, right. And the heads you're flying over are people who are participating. Um, ding. So, so yeah. you could, you could you yeah. know, say ding, that they're ding, covered ding, by ding, the ding, ding. Yeah. not directly participating in the operation. So, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, um, I guess my question is the whole controlled airspace thing. Because controlled airspace is a slippery term and, and civilians... I'm not sure if I completely understand when something is controlled and uncontrolled well, airspace, this, ironically. Well, that wasn't just controlled airspace. That was on, in a TFR. Right. But, well, that, but this begs the question of whether the TFR is inside the volume of a structure. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what the paragraph suggests. Jeb, what do you think? This, this, this paragraph that you quote in our, in our show notes, mm-hmm. in, our, in our list, um, Pre-programmed to fly and remain within the stadium, right? And therefore, did not enter the controlled airspace over Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, uh, I'm. I don't know if I'm going to go look for the notum on this, but um, 
what they're basically saying is that the drones physically could have left the stadium. Could have and been legal, or no? It's, basically, they're saying they're. they're I, I'm not saying it correctly. Especially pre-programmed yeah. to fly and remain within the stadium. Right. If they hadn't been specially pre-programmed, could they have escaped the stadium? Yeah, um, I believe this particular stadium has a um, removable roof. Has the roof will open. Um, I think I read someplace else that they specifically closed the roof for this performance, okay. for this yeah. halftime show, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, anyways, it's okay, all yeah, my, my interest in this is waning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what? I brought it up, and mine is too. So, uh, anyways, we need to talk to some of our drone friends. If not sooner, we're going to... Do we Park. have any drone friends? We do actually have some very, very dedicated okay. drone people who are friends of ours. And uh, uh, um, Mike, Mike Daniels is a very active drone guy. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, Jeff Ward is, uh, is actually an RC aircraft person. Um, I'm not sure how up to date he is on on kind of newer technology okay. drone stuff, but I believe he's tuned in to the regulation. And so, we'll talk to some combination of these two and others and find out how this all works. Um, but because I, I am kind of curious about the indoor aspect of this and, and and how that changes it. And so, I guess, yeah, somebody's phone is ringing. I don't know if I edited that out afterwards. We'll see. Um, anyways, that's it for the drone thing. Um, I am looking forward to seeing this drone show at uh, at Sun and Fun because I missed it at Oshkosh, and uh, so so that'll be cool. Um, but uh, anyways, what else here? Uh, apparently, 2018 was a good year for uh, selling airplanes, uh, right? Am I reading these stories right? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, yeah. This is uh, uh, Gamma, the General Aviation Manufacturers Association. Do I have that Yay, right? Yeah, you got yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, as you might imagine, tracks you know how good business is, and they've re- released their 2018 report. And uh, I'm going to let one of you maybe summarize some of the high points here. But the but the uh, executive summary was up sh- airplane shipments up 4.7 percent. And and I saw another graph that said or another sentence that said um, every category was up at least a little in 2018. So cool beans, huh? Yeah. I mean, um, just looking at the the table in the gamma release, uh, piston airplanes are up five percent. Turbo turboprops five point two. Um, piston rotocraft six point four. That's interesting. You know, and I gotta wonder. Yeah, rotocraft is does rotocraft. Well, what? So as as drones become more and more popular, I guess there are no piston. Does this, yeah, yeah. No, there's no no such thing as a piston drone. Well, that's not that's not true. That's not true. There's no such thing as a um, hobby um, drone, right? No, commercially it, well, available. That's never, right. Never that's, mind. Okay. No, no, you're right. You're right. And that's my point is that we're not quite there yet. But I, I gotta wonder whether there's going to be a new category spawned off here. All right, or are are all these human carrying um, you know, kind of multi-copter rotorcraft things that we're seeing. Um, are they going to be lumped into rotorcraft, or is there going to be a new category? They're going to be light sport aircraft. 
Yeah, but regardless of that, is it going to be rotorcraft or is it going to be you know drone craft or multi well, you're, you're, or... you're assuming that they will become gamma members and gamma will want to report their numbers, and that's that's not yet in that's, evidence. That's a real good point, also. Yeah, that this is also true, uh, since these numbers do reflect gamma's membership only. Right. Well, well, why wouldn't they want to, you know, receive the legitimacy of being a gamma member? I mean, I, you know. well, they d- they've never included light sport. For example, uh, they leave that to uh, oh, okay. the light well, aircraft manufacturing association. Yeah. yeah, but they're not all going to be light sport. I mean, we saw, and this is a major no, 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 player. No, no. Bell but, helicopter but, is going to. But a lot of these these um, um, small, um, you know, call them quad rotors. Yeah, um, that you're envisioning are going to start out in the LSA category. I'm not sure if I buy that, but okay. Uh, Okay. Um, I mean, Bell was touting that uh, oh, six-bladed yeah, that's, that's, air taxi that's thing. That's true. Right? But I, uh, All right. Uh, I believe Boeing has one as well. It could um, well be, too. Yeah, but none, none of these are in production and being delivered. To yeah, no, I know. Right. So, so they're, they're, not, they're, they're definitely not, not in the numbers up, yet. Right. I agree. They're definitely not in the numbers yet. I still am wondering whether or not they're going to get lumped in as rotorcraft or whether there's going to be a new category. That's my question. We don't yes. know the answer to that. Well, a new category certain, certainly wouldn't be, uh, you know, an excessive re- reaction because you're talking about a new category of aircraft. Yeah. No, I think it's, yeah. So, anyways, um, going back to the original story, good news. Airplane shipments are up, and uh, hopefully it's not an aberration, um, you know, um, that it's maybe some something like a trend. I fear it's not, but it, I hope it's not. Uh, well, it, I don't remember specifics, but uh, there have been a lot of prognostications about the state of the industry over the last few years and where it's supposed to be headed. And um, no one predicted explosive growth, um, and no one predicted a huge downfall. So this is certainly within the range of possible outcomes. Yeah, it's a good thing. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, the, the the prediction that concerns me is not an aviation project or a GA prediction. It's the in general they're talking about there possibly being a recession um, later in nineteen or early twenty, and so uh, historically we're overdue. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, for the time being, good deal. Um, glad for the industry. It's good for the industry, and uh, it'll uh, move things forward. David, your uh, your favorite maneuver. I know this is your favorite maneuver. You've talked about this in the past. Um, what's this story um, that we're looking at here? Oh, we're talking about the 180 landing? Yeah, we Power are. Power off 180. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, some ins- flight instructors actually teach it still. Uh, I'm not sure how much. But it's basically you... Uh, Chop the power when you're abeam the numbers on the downwind and do a continuous, continually descending 180 degree turn back to the, the threshold. Right. And land. And it's a, a great maneuver to know and, and to practice so that you're comfortable with it because we, we don't always find the airplane coming down at our chosen location. Right. Sometimes it comes down in spots where the the uh, available landing area is much tighter and for example you may not you may have enough runway or enough field to touch down and stop but because of the trees you got to cross the trees so high 
that you'll run out of uh, a field before you get stopped. Mm-hmm. But if you could do that 180 inside that fence line, then that's a whole other ball of wax. Then you're already be- beneath the treetops at the arrival end of the of the field and can roll out and have a much better chance of getting stopped before you run out of field, you, you know, within reasonable choices. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we used it a lot when, uh, when, when our hang gliding sites, our landing fields at some of the hang gliding sites, shrank. They, they washed them on high, put them in hot in the dryer, and no, actually, the performance of the gliders improved. <laughs> yeah, the, the the glide ratios and and glide speeds of the, of the gliders as they got better, that made some of those fields a little more challenging to get into, because the glide ratio would be flat enough and the sink rate slow enough that you couldn't just drop in from the tree line and get it down and stopped with, before you ran out of field. So we would come in over the far end of the tree line. And then do a 180 below the tree line and back to final. And that greatly increased our available landing distance. Mm-hmm. You just had to be really wary of one thing. What's that? That, in, that, that wing tip on the inside of that 180. Uh, yeah. We, we, we learned to do this so that there was you know, only a foot, foot and a half between the wing tip and the ground as we're, as, as we're doing that 180. Uh, that. I've never done it that low in an airplane. Wait a minute. So you're on downwind, very, very close to the ground? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just keep your airspeed up, uh, which means you got to be on your game. You're going to run out of field really fast going downwind at landing mm-hmm. speed, but you roll into that 180 turn back to final. Uh, you know, it almost looks like you parked the wingtip on the ground and just rotated around it. It's not actually the case, but right. that's how it looks from a distance. Right. And as you roll out, you're on final. You're below the treetops. Uh, you're probably low enough to uh, uh, get your feet out of the harness and start dragging them to slow you down and flare to land. Yeah. Don't try this at home, boys and girls. Well. Try it with an instructor. I'm not sure what you mean by yeah. Uh, try it with a hang glider, but don't try it with an airplane. Oh, you mean that low to the ground part? Yeah. 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 No, I agreed. I agree. Um, and uh, it's a pretty maneuver from the ground, anyways. I know I've spent you know I, I have a number of different recollections of you know hanging out at the airfield and watching airplanes you know flying the pattern down to touchdown. And every now and then you'd see one that would do this kind of a of an approach where they would basically make one big continuous turn from downwind. Um, and uh, it's very pretty. I, at least I think it's pretty. Um, it's, well, there's uh, some sailplane pilots that learn to do this for, for, for all the same reasons. Uh, you know, you get up into sailplane performance, and uh, uh, glide ratios above 30 are not unusual. Uh, mm-hmm. It means you're traveling forward 30 feet for every one foot you come down. Uh, that makes a big field small really quickly. Yeah. Just don't drag your wingtip. Just don't drag. Well, yeah, that's a good rule to live by. Make, Always that's a, a good plan. Yeah. yeah. Let's make a T-shirt out of that. Okay. You can, <laughs> you can drag Main Street, but you can't drag your wingtip. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Uh, see, 
I, this next one that's on the list, I just think I, that I, I didn't who do this. David put this on there. Right? I didn't do this. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just barely even a, even an aviation story. <laughs> it is an aviation <laughs> story. So, all right, let's see if we can do this without getting ourselves too deep here. Uh, the, the challenge is to cut down on the number of birds that hang out around airports. Okay, a good goal. All right. One of the things that attracts birds to some airports is open bodies of water near the airport grounds or even on the airport grounds. Um, and so the question is, what do you, you want the bodies of water because they have good environmental things um, to them, but you don't want the birds. And one airport has come up with the idea of, all right, of floating. See, the irony of this whole thing is, uh, it, so they're, <laughs> they're getting ready to float. All right. They're getting ready. They're, they're, the plan here is this particular instance, they're floating what they say is 7.5 million floating balls. All right. They're just plastic or whatever material they're made out of balls that are floating on the surface of the lake. Um, and they're not covering, balls. They're, I, well, and that's the first problem I have is that if you look at the story, they're not actually balls. Um, no, they're, they're rhomboids. They're, they're, you know, yes, they're square side or, or, or flat faced, multi surfaced faced. I don't know what the right term is. They're like that little thing that floats inside your magic eight ball. Yeah, right. They're rhomboids. How many sides do they have? Actually, I didn't even. There's a story here. I can't read this because it won't. I don't. I'm not going to turn off my uh, my uh, Uh, ad blocker. Is your ad blocker yeah, fighting so it's, it? It's, yeah. it's, my, it's I can't read it, but I can see the pictures, and, and yeah. that's not a ball. Yeah, no, they're not balls. Uh, this is from the Redlands Daily Facts, which is a website name that makes me suspicious just to start out with. <laughs> um, um, apparently, Excuse this is me. the Redlands, California, which is sort of in Southern California area, and uh, uh, the... Uh, that's near heater. They say... Uh, the, after the 130 million gallon citrus reservoir was completed near Redlands Municipal Airport two years ago, uh, a problem showed up on radar: birds, big ones. Uh, Ted Gablin, director of the Redlands Airport Association, called the threat of a bird strike uh, a worrisome for pilots. I'm kind of summarizing here. Um, the, the the birds are bad. They said uh, helicopter hit some birds. That's bad. So I don't know. I'm not going to try and summarize this whole story. Basically, they decided that they needed. 7.5 million rhombo-hexo-shield floating balls, or rhomboids. That's a uh, great name for a band. <laughs> the, the rhombo-hexo-shields? Yeah, yeah, no. it's yeah perfect. I agree. It's I agree. I agree. Uh, I'm still looking for it to tell me how many actual surfaces this object has. Uh, what is it? They don't know. Birds? They don't know. Uh, no, no one knows. Yeah, right. It's a, it's a, well, all right, now let's go, wait a minute, all right, so here we go. Too bad we don't have a device. Cubic Coffee. rhomboid, yeah, let's just ask the Google here. Uh, a rhomboid hexoshield. There's lots of stories about using this to cover water. Wow. All right, but what I really want is just rhomboid. Rhomboid. Which is a... Listen, a fo- listen folks, is Jack Google stuff. Yeah. <laughs> rhomboid. That's how they say they. it's, a, it's the, the type of bird known as a rom. That's how they call it in Brooklyn, a rhomboid. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quad. That is not. Uh, that is not. <laughs> Apparently, there's a rhomboid muscle, but that's I, not what we're floating. I here. sincerely yeah. doubt rhomboids are our topics of discussion in Brooklyn right now. Oh, I see. A rhomboid does not apparently um, have anything to do with how many sides. Um, 
A rhomboid, traditionally in two-dimensional geometry, a rhomboid is a parallelogram in which adjacent sides are of unequal, unequal length and the angles are not... I don't understand this. All right, listeners, you got to explain this to us. Send me an email. Tell me what rhomboids are. Um, how many... Do they have a number of sides? What's the deal here? Well, the, the, the hex part of the... What was it? Rhomboid hexoid? Says, yeah. That suggests six, yes. It suggests six, yes. Yeah. So, anyways. Um, I've seen people who've done this kind of floating balls on the surface of water as a way of doing making a, a pool cover. That's a, a different kind of pool cover. I don't know, you know. They're, they're, Jeb, you wouldn't understand this, all right? <laughs> but there are parts of the country where for part of the year you cover the pool because it gets cold and will freeze or not yeah. and, and whatnot. And yeah. so, but uh, um, no, actually, I think I've seen this in warm areas. Instead of stretching a cover over the pool, they actually float a whole crap load of. Uh, Sorry, listeners. I, there's that listener who doesn't like me saying those words. Uh, a whole lot of of uh, literally spherical balls um, float, floating on the pool, so that there's sort of this skin across the top of the pool, um, and it does double duty. It's good because it uh, uh, you know it protects the surface of the of the pool. Um, apparently, it heats it. It you know absorbs some heat out of the sun, um, but it's less dangerous in the event that anyone falls into it because you don't get tangled with the pool cover. That's what I remember from reading something at some point in the past anyways interesting 7.5 million rombo hexoshield floating balls rombo hexoshield yep hexo shield like yeah. like you know uh protecting myself against something uh yeah i think but i think it's i you know it could be six it also could be that the protection is somehow caused by witchcraft that's what I'm thinking. All right, it's a hexo shield. Well, okay. All right, next topic. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is the one that I want to talk about. All right, we're going to go back to drones here for a second. Here, um, let me just re- look at this original story and see exactly how I planned to get into this here. Um, so there's a lot of talk about about drones being autonomous. Um, whether they're human-carrying drones or just small package-carrying drones or observation drones, drones of all sorts of sizes. Um, and uh, um, and there's talk about them being autonomous aircraft, self-flying aircraft. Um, and, and there's just, you know, and this article says, why direct to autonomy? Um, but it got me to thinking about the whole subject of what are we really talking about here? Are, what does in the, in terms of an air, of, a, of a drone flying in the airspace? Uh-huh. What does autonomous mean? No, does good. it mean that it flies itself in being coordinated, controlled by ATC, just like we are controlled by ATC, or is it not even in contact? Does it is it that level of autonomy? Is that do you have any some sense of what people are talking about when they talk about autonomous drones? Because it almost sounds to me like they're talking about these autonomous drones being completely independent of any communication. Um, they just fly according to some set of rules um, without having to be um, directed by ATC. I think there are... My, my favorite answer to questions like this... Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It depends. It depends. Um you know, because I, I, the idea that that drones are going to be allowed to fly in the airspace without being in contact with ATC troubles me greatly. 
I just think that's a bad idea. All right, it, it, for the same reason that you know, having Defi- humans define. I'm not. I'm not no, pro no, or con. Ahead. I'm not pro or con here, but define right. without being in contact with ATC. So, if I want to fly through a Bravo right now, all right, I have to have a, a, a pretty active level of communication with with ATC, among other things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, but that though those other things, if you're if you're alluding to things like uh, you know mode C transponder stuff and 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 whatnot, that all is just another form of communication. Um, you have to have good communication. It's actually with surveillance. Well, there's there's two yeah, there's two but, things involved, right? Communi- two-way communication, communication and surveillance, right? Um, and 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 that's one of the things that's that's the way that flying through the Bravo is is rel- you know reasonably safe um, because ATC and the pilot are working together to stay safe. Um, it, for the most part, see, I'm gonna I'm getting myself in trouble here because there are apparently places where there are these VFR flyways that go through Bravos um, where the pilot doesn't have to talk to ATC sometimes. Um, they just have to follow certain rules, stay in a certain corridor, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, generally speaking, you know, they don't let a pilot fly into these highly, you know, these high traffic areas on their own. You got to be talking to ATC, and that's a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. So what's the rules for getting into a Class B? Uh, you have to contact the. A uh, facility. You have to have a clearance. Air traffic control that's handling it. And you have and to be cleared. You, and you have to, get, you have to be invited in at that point. So or at least cleared. Clear, yeah. clear yeah. you yeah. into the airspace. Right. And that's your invitation to enter. If they say stay clear of the airspace, well, you get to see how good you are at flying at the edge of a circle. Yeah. Well, and, and so a lot of the stories I see about autonomous drones they're not talking like this. They're talking about having the drones be smart about the airspace and then just fly and see and avoid themselves. They're not talking about having, you know, be in contact or or, or having received a clearance. Um, well, they already have rules that they have to follow about flying in proximity to uh, operating airports, mm-hmm. uh, and that doesn't go away with autonomy. Uh, so you've got that uh, going for you in terms of... Uh, uh, traffic separation uh at the same time the, i would figure that this would be those one of those circumstances where the operator of the autonomous drone is going to talk this out with the air traffic control facilities along the way before it turns it loose and that they're going to have some way to keep an eye on him that or he never gets above 400 feet and still stays clear of the airport airspace i i think i i, I think that's a good idea i think I would be much more comfortable if they did it the way you just described it. But I get the feeling that it's going to be a lot more automated than that. You know, that the Amazon delivery drone is going to take off from a pad someplace, um, you know, at the edge of town and is just going to fly into the Bravo airspace in order to deliver this package. Um, uh, I, I think without, that's, I don't think there's evidence to support that at the moment because they're still evolving the rules for this yeah. stuff. And maybe the reason I'm bringing it up is because I want to, you know, use our little voice here to uh, say you better be keep continuing to develop the rules because a free for all with these drones just on their own is a bad idea. Yeah, if you ask me, I think. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, Dave. Go ahead. Finish the thought. I think he did, Jeb. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say 
there are different, you know, there's 50 shades of autonomous uh, here. Um, are we talking about um, a flight control system that <clears throat> that controls the aircraft, excuse me, <clears throat> that controls the aircraft from, from takeoff to landing? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about a human aboard that... Uh, points it in various directions or or uh, can change the destination in route things mm-hmm. like this um there's all kinds of different shades here i think one of the answers is going to be uh drones below operating below 400 feet um within a bravo are probably going to be allowed um if, if not already Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know for sure, and I'm sure um, some of our, our drone-savvy listeners can set us straight. Uh, not that that's ever happened before. Um, They've never had to in the past. But, but I, the whole the whole drone delivery thing, to me, is um, a solution in search of a problem. Um, for In some applications, I can certainly see where... Um, that kind of delivery method is is preferable. Uh, clearly, you're saving uh, diesel fuel, um, things like that. But I, I I just you know I'm not sold on this whole concept of the package delivery thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What one one concept I am sold on uh, is autonomous uh, flight or, or autonomous driving. Anyway, um, is uh, some commercial applications like commercial over-the-road trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, put them in the right lane, put flashing lights on them. They go from one terminal to the next on the interstate. Um, easy, to, easy, easy peasy. Could be. I'm not, yeah. Okay. Um, but I think they expect them to go more than just from, like, one truck stop to the next. Well, that's or, but that's going to be the first application. Okay. Uh, okay. That could work, yeah. Um, and then, you know, you've got kind of the same thing going on um, in aviation, it, not any time in the real near future, but you might see, you know, the, the, the fifth generation Cessna Caravan is a piloted, is a non-piloted vehicle. Um, could be, could be. I, I, I mean, I think more likely the earlier applications are going to be these these multi-copter, human carrying multi-copters we're talking about. Um, you know, and I, I think they desperately I, I don't. want. <laughs> I, really? I don't. There's a novelty in that, but I think the the critical mass is going to come in in um, cargo operations. Yeah, that's just me. Well, yeah, okay, all right. Well, anyways, I don't see any reason why autonomous drones shouldn't be required to be in contact and receiving instructions from ATC. That's my thesis. And well, uh, the system allows that. Yeah. Um, the ATC system allows that, and I'm saying system. both the both the drone systems and the well, regulations I, should I, also. Re- I've been saying for years that any drone sold in the U.S. should have ADSB built into it, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and mandatory mandatory uh, activation of it. But beyond that, you know, the drone won't fly until the ADSB is activated. You know, but uh, I, I don't know that much about the technology. Um, right. That much more about the technology, I should say. Okay. Anyways. All right. Well, 
We may come back to this. I don't know. Well, well they're, they're, they're welcome in our airspace on three conditions as far as I'm concerned. Okay. A, they got to be identifiable. Two, they got to show up on uh, the uh, air traffic surveillance system. And three, they've got to be capable of autonomously seeing and avoiding. Then I'd be fine with them. I'd add, I'd add a fourth, which is um, capable of, of uh, inter- ground or human intervention to get out of the way of something. Right. Well, and that's sort of would be my fourth as well. Uh, it, that yeah. That they can be waved off somehow. They can be overridden. Yeah. Um, Anyways. But, but, uh, again, you know, I I think it's going to be a lot easier, especially from the insurance standpoint, to transport cargo, non-living beings aboard some of these vehicles at first before uh, we start getting into passenger operations. Probably. So so I'll just shut up now. Probably. Okay. Okay. Uh, David, the Collier Trophy? Oh, yeah. It's a big deal. Every year. I, is, I, I know is it is. Deal. I know it is, but I'm wondering if you could tell us anything about who the... So are we to the point of winners or just nominees? Just, Nomine- just nom- at the point of nominees right nominees. now. Nominees, yeah. Okay. And it, it, it thought it would bear uh, mentioning because they will take nominations from other people uh, and... You know, last year they recognized the Cirrus uh, SJ50 jet single as the Collier Trophy. That was a first of a category that was long predicted to never happen. So that was a good winner. And uh, I think you can check in on the uh, website, the the, uh, National Aeronautic Association site, to see how the process is continuing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's an honor to just be nominated, so uh, let's see. <laughs> well, well, I'm kind of half serious, all right? You know, it's like, you know, to have to pick. There's a, I'm looking at the list right here. The 2018 nominees are, uh, and is that worth Yeah, February 7th, 29th. So this is the, the nominees for, you know, things that happened in the year 2018. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, Automatic Ground Collision Avoidance System, uh, the Bell V280 Valor, um, which, by the way, isn't that isn't the, the rotor- I was going to say, isn't that the rotorcraft thing right? we were talking okay. about? Um, the Boeing TX, which I think also might be Boeing's entry into that whole thing. Um, let's see now. The Draken Internet. This is a really long one here. Draken International Contracted Close Air Support and Adversary Air Services in Support of Combat Readiness Training. So, anyway, some sort of system they, that apparently is very meritorious. That's the, cool. The, the, Bell, yeah, they up? the Bell 280 Valor is a next generation tilt rotor. Got it. Okay. David, you were going to say? And, and, and Draken operates out of Lakeland. Okay. It's one of their facilities there. Oh, okay. If you go uh, to, down toward Choppertown, you'll see some of their aggressor aircraft sitting on a ramp. And what exactly is that system that I just tried to say the name of? Do you know? They provide adversary aircraft and pilots to give our uh, our oh. combat pilots uh, live training against live pilots than something other than a simulator. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Um, continuing on this list, the Embraer um, E-190E2 aircraft, um, the F-35 Integrated Test Force, uh, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems, integration of large UAS into civil and international airspace, uh, NASA slash JPL Mars Cube 1 project team, um, the Perlan project, uh, responsive environmental assessment, commercially hosted project, a.k.a. REACH, 
and finally Virgin Galactic's Spaceship Two program. These are the nominees for 2018 for the uh, Robert J. Collier Trophy. Man, um, I couldn't begin to to put odds on any one of these. They're all really good nominees. Yeah, yeah I'm not familiar with all of them. Uh, any of them jump out at you, David, as being particularly interesting? What's uh, well, Spaceship Two, which of course, just, yeah. just got a couple of guys their astronaut wings, and uh, uh-huh. uh, the uh, Perlan Project, which is taking a sailplane to ever higher altitudes uh-huh. for environmental research. Uh-huh. Uh, the uh, the uh, V two eighty tilt rotor, the Bell Valor. Right. Uh, uh, I'd love to see that pull it off, just because. V-tail, or tilt rotors have been in and out of favor so many times in the years I've been writing about aviation. Uh, right. And they still haven't cracked the nut in civilian use that's going to make them commonplace. Mm-hmm. And that's what the goal is for this particular aircraft? Uh, this, I believe, is a uh, is, is another military version, but I'm not uh, okay. sure. Yeah, because I know they've been talking for quite some time now about having a sort of I don't know. I want to say a bizjet version, not not that it's jet, but you know that that well, kind of well, they you know, they've use been category. selling that. That was the six oh nine. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, there's a lot of interesting aircraft and and programs here, and uh, and I guess one of them is this the final list? I guess it is. So one of them, yeah, the one, winner will be definitely one of yeah, these. These are the nominees, right? Um, yeah. and, and the V two eighty is is a military project. Right. It is okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of choices. There's a lot of uh, uh, different directions. There's a lot of different aspects of aviation that uh, the NAA can emphasize with their decision. It, it'll it'll be interesting to see how this comes out. It will. It will. When do they decide? When do they announce? I'm sure it's in the press I'm release right here. Uh, April four. Well, that's oh, that's com- selection the, committee. The yeah, immediate committee meets June thirteenth. June thirteenth. Just at prior to Oshkosh. At a location to be no, about a month before Oshkosh. Yeah. So. At a location okay. to be determined. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, How do we get on that list? I think we should be nominated for the Collier <coughs> Trophy. Right? You have to do something important. <laughs> we make an incredible contribution. We won the Back Seat Award. Thank you very much. All right? <laughs> that, was a, that was a long time ago. Well, it'd be, what have you know, done for me lately? Well, yeah, okay. And we, we we have not yet progressed to the point of being we, a major contributor to the carbon dioxide situation. Us winning the us winning the backseat award was so significant that they just couldn't even give it out anymore after us. That's not exactly true. They gave it a couple of years after us. You, they they gave it one more time. You really, one more you time. really should snip this part out. Our no. old, our old buddy Roy. Roy won it after us, and he 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 broke the mold for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, Collier Trophy, cool, cool, cool stuff. Yeah. What else here? That's everything that's on our list. Is there what have we missed? Like this is what we get for doing this thing once every week. We, we used to do this every week, and we managed to fill the time, no problem. What the heck? Um, uh, anything else we should be talking about here? There's a couple of uh, of a shout outs we can get to in a little bit, but uh, uh, we could talk about um, spam phone calls. Yeah, I know. Somebody's phone has been ringing like crazy all morning long here. Uh, Sun and Fun's coming up. I'm looking forward to Sun and Fun. That's going to be fun. It's still, what, a month? To, we're, we're yeah, Sun and Fun, yeah. 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 Actually, I'm, I'm trying to jigger my schedule so I can spend more time there this year. That would be it's great. Not, it's not like, you know, I, I didn't know it in advance. Yeah, well, 
you know, but they want you to go to Dubai, you got to go to Dubai. And uh, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, so, that's so true. Um, but hopefully you'll you'll be able to to uh, spend some time there. I'm actually not going to arrive until um, early afternoon on the first day because of a job I have to do. But I should be rolling in there in, um, in time to sniff around a little bit, and then for us to do our uh, our first uh, full episode there from uh, from Sun and Fun Radio. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and for anybody who's not you know, hasn't been a, been in a long time listener, we're going to do the do what we we have done for a few years now at at Sun and Fun. We're going to do uh, f- two full episodes, um, one on the first day of, of the show on Tuesday, and one on uh, and that one will be in late in the afternoon, and then one uh, in the morning of the final day on Sunday, um, and then we'll do uh, a shorter daily episodes all week long and. Uh, um, we'll be posting all those on the net throughout the week. The two full episodes from Sun and Fun Radio will act also be streamed live on the internet. So if you're you're really a glutton, you can listen to us live um, while we do those. But uh, yeah, Fore- Sun- forewarned is forearmed. Yep. But uh, yeah, Sun and Fun's coming up, and uh, looking forward to that a lot. I wish I wasn't going to miss the first most of the first day, but I will. You know, got to pay the rent now that I have this new apartment. So, anyways, uh, what else? Anything else? Where are we into shoutouts? You know what we're going to do? Well, we're we're going to pause here for... Hey, okay, yeah. Go ahead. No, did you have an item or you want to go to shows? No, I want to hear what you were going to say. What I was going to say is, uh, listen to this. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as 10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. I can't say enough how happy we are about Patreon help supporters. Uh, the, through the magic of audio editing, we just ins- everyone just heard um, our little thank you to Patreon supporters. And uh, yay and team! Clo- yeah, close that out by saying absolutely thank you very much. We really really appreciate the uh, the support we get from our listeners, both from Patreon and from the general tip jar. Um, it it uh, you know as as time goes on, it's kind of getting a little more expensive to do this podcast, and that's very very useful support. Thank you very much. Shoutouts. What do we got here? Another another uh, victim of of the only a week ago we did this yeah. podcast. I had one. I, uh, go, yeah. go ahead without me, David. You want to? I know these these folks are war, are are close to all of our hearts, um, and I know they're very very close to your heart, David. Tell us a little bit about uh, this salute to the wasps. Well, the young lady that I met at Camp Bacon uh, a few years ago during Oshkosh, uh, she had just come off a successful campaign lobbying Congress to pass legislation that let WASPs, World War, War, Women's Army Service Pilots from World War II, be buried in Arlington National Cemetery. And uh, it was her, Erin Miller was her grandmother's last request to be laid to rest in there. And Erin uh, went to work with Congress and some groups and developed support and got the law 
passed and signed into uh, into uh, active status, and her grandmother got buried in uh, in Arlington, and now she's done a book called Final Flight, Final Fight. My grandmother, the wasp in the Arlington Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, it's uh, due to be published on uh, February twenty sixth. Uh, this is a sharp young woman, uh, really sharp, and uh, I'm glad to see that she's been able to continue to roll this out. She, uh, the uh, author is uh, Aaron Miller. Uh, Martha McSally contributed it and did the foreword. And uh, what is this outfit? You ever heard of something called Amazon? <laughs> you can find it there, and we'll have a link. Yeah, we will have a link. Um, yeah, where um, the the yeah these wasps are are just amazing people, and uh, it's been a been a, a a pleasure and honor to have met a handful of yeah, them so at at Sun and Fun, um, and and sadly the number is dwindling like crazy um, as it is for all World War II veterans, um, but uh, you know yeah cool take a look at this book yeah De- uh, Jeb did you figure out that shot um. Yeah. It wasn't a big one, but uh, just to uh, put in a good word for, uh, I forget where they are, I think they're in Michigan, uh, called Air, a company called Aircraft Tool Supply. I had a, a, a problem with a tool um, and sent it to them. Uh, they reworked it, sent it back, and actually told me over the phone how to use it. <laughs> so, <laughs> always a good which, thing. Which you know, part of the problem was operator error, and I, re- yeah, I, I, I readily, I readily admit that. And uh, uh, just, just want to uh, thank them for their service and uh, recommend them to other customers. Or, uh, I take it listeners. they were reasonably gentle in telling They were you very gentle. I, I, b- before it's working just fine, yeah, thank bef- you very much. Before the conversation was over, I was laughing. Um it was it was like so embarrassing. Um but nevertheless. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Can you uh can you text me the name of this outfit so I can add it to aircraft, the show notes? Aircraft tool supply. Yeah, let me let me down. Google it real quick. Yeah, and uh, and send me a link so I can put it in the show notes. And uh, um, David, any other shout outs? I don't have any. Nope, I'm done. Stick me I with think the we're pork. done. I think we're done. Uh, thank you guys. Um, you weren't as rough on me as I expected you to be, but you know. Oh, we're not finished yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. We still, we still have the afterglow. We have the after show to do, don't we? Okay, all right. Well, maybe I spoke too soon. Uh, that's Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a uh, aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? You mentioned earlier you're getting ready to yeah, do another one. Yeah, just getting getting geared up for another issue of um, uh, aviation safety. It'd be the April one I'm looking at. Got a new writer coming in. I'm not sure. Um, um, uh, how it's all going to work, but he is a former or current air traffic controller, as well yeah. as well as a pilot. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to make it a long term thing. We'll see how he does his first time out, and um, that'll be in the April issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Is look, he a, a, a he? I assume it's is it, it is a, a he? it is a he. Um, and and is he an actual FA? I don't even know if this is a distinction. FAA employee or a contract tower person? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not now an FAA employee. That was sort of the nature of my question. Okay. Because I know sometimes when you get people in those sure. kind of situations, sure. they can't write stories, sure. right? 
because they have they're under restrictions in terms of yeah. their employment or yeah they have or, to they have to go through public affairs to get right. clearance to do that and public affairs often wants to be a part of the conversation et cetera et cetera yeah and I would imagine you as an editor would not be thrilled with that kind it, of it depends on the circumstances um, the the tower chief at Oshkosh I got to interview her one year I actually a couple of years but I also got to interview her. Uh, um, her last Oshkosh, she was retiring after the after that show, and uh, you know FAA Public Affairs insisted on being there, which I was fine with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, um, you know, the flip side, I've done stories where I extensively quote, you know, I pose questions to and and, and use quotes from a conversation with an air traffic controller, a current FAA air traffic controller, but I don't publish the name. The name's, not, right. the name's not really even all that relevant to the story. Right, yeah. So, okay. Well, look forward to seeing that new uh, new contributor. That's sounds like it has a lot of potential. I'm looking forward to it. Other, and other than that, just taking on a lot of personal projects and, yeah. and it's paperwork season and, you know, things like that. Oh, it is that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, where can people learn about all this stuff uh, and you on the Internet? Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, of course. Um You'll find a lot of old stuff from me, maybe some recent stuff uh, on avweb.com. You will uh, also find some of my stuff on uh, AIN, I'm sorry, yeah, AINonline.com, mm-hmm. uh, AEA.net for the Aircraft Electronics Association, whose annual meeting is coming up very soon. And then there is uh, General Aviation News, and who knows, uh, you might even find me on the Twitter machine under Burnside J. There you go. And Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Uh, well, this week's business aviation blog for Av Buyer uh, takes a look at a proposal in Congress to uh, keep the FAA running in a shutdown by tapping the uh, Airport and Airways Trust Fund, which has got a lot of aviation people excited. It's got a, a few people a little concerned, but it, it, it would actually make life easier for the FAA if they didn't have to lose a big chunk of their employees next time Congress can't agree to a budget or the president vetoes it. So uh, other than that, just plowing ahead with a couple of new clients that I'll be able to talk about uh, next month. Very cool. Very cool. Where can people find out about all these things and you on the Internet? Well, like Jeb, you can find me on uh, AEA.net for my work with Avionics News, uh, com for my... uh, work at the Av Buyer magazine, my monthly features, or my weekly business aviation blog. Uh, and the other ones, I'll just have to wait until next month. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Did you say Twitter? Oh, no, I forgot. Yeah, on the Twitter machine, I'm Real Higdon, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, too. All right. Very cool. Very cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, I've been, uh, see now, I've been home for a couple weeks here. I'm in the, it's really weird. I was home for a long time just working on personal projects and and this podcast and other things. And then um, my day job got really busy and I was gone for two and a half weeks. And then I've been home for not quite two weeks. Now I'm going away for another two weeks, uh, at which point I come home for about, 10 days and then go away i was just looking at it today i think i'm going to go on for for almost three and a half weeks um in uh, in uh, late march early april part of that being sun and fun so uh, it's uh it's it's suddenly become busy after having been very quiet in, at least in terms of my travel um 
So I leave uh, tomorrow morning for uh, for Orlando, where I do a job um, at uh, at the edge of uh, Disney World, and then uh, and then after a week in Orlando, I uh, uh, get on on an airplane and I'm going to Las Vegas, where I was. I don't know what emotion it is, but there was some emotion involved in noticing this morning that it snowed in Las Vegas uh, twice in the past week. Um, and uh, when I looked at it this morning at dawn here, it was 33 degrees in Las Vegas. So it's like, it's like not, not, I don't know, it doesn't seem like Las Vegas to me. But uh, that's, uh, that's where I'm headed um, next, Orlando and Las Vegas. Uh, and then home, and then back to, uh, where am I going? Philadelphia, Lakeland, and, and beyond. Uh, you can find out more um, about me uh, online. In most places, I go by the username Jack Hodgson. That's my first and last name, uh, just pushed together. Uh, for example, youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, patreon.com slash Jack Hodgson. On Amazon, you can find my ebooks by searching for Around the Field in the Books section, and you can sign up for my occasional email newsletter uh, by going to my personal website, jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you were going to tell us? The key to living long, having a good time, long life, good things, go fly. Because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And so far, they haven't taken that deduction away from us. So. <laughs> you got to say goodbye. Um, yeah, so these, these romboids you speak of, will, will, <laughs> will penicillin cure that at all? <laughs> That's definitely enough talking. Let's go flying. <laughs>